0: Hello, welcome to Big Sky Breakdown. Colter nuanas as always, you can find this podcast SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you January 24th, it's a Friday. We actually recorded a lot of this Big Sky Breakdown yesterday, so there's a couple things that we actually mentioned that aren't quite as timely. We were talking about the Montana State-Weaver State game and the Montana-Idaho game in men's basketball. Montana ended up winning 77-74 over Idaho State, and Montana State ended up beating Weaver State 62-61. So there's a lot of conversation about the teams, not necessarily those specific matchups, but those results hadn't happened yet, and now I'm just producing this podcast. So apologies there, but appreciate you listening. As always, Big Scout Breakdown presented in part by Town Pump. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump near you. Head over the pass to Butte, Montana this afternoon, this evening, I suppose, to see an old friend. And I'm definitely going to hit up a Town Pump on my way out of Missoula and a Town Pump on my way back to town. That Town Pump right there in Rocker, that's my go-to. Easy access off the freeway. Get your caffeine drink, get you a little water, get you maybe some sunflower seeds, fill up the gas tank. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. In this Big Sky Breakdown, we will hear first and foremost from Ryan Tutel. Just rapping about the Big Sky Conference so far. We're about four weeks into the league season. And it's been an interesting year, so we'll give you our thoughts on both the men's and women's sides of the Big Sky Conference in hoops. I'll also share a couple of interviews that we've done over the last couple of weeks. Danny Sprinkle from Montana State, he joined us on Tutela Nuwana's yesterday, so I'll share his interview just about some of the trends he's seen in the Big Sky so far, uh, as well as just what he thinks of the status of the Montana State Bobcats. They are 4-4 in league play after last night's win at Weber State. That was also the first win by the Bobcats over Weber State, period, since 2013, Montana State's first win in Ogden against Weber State since 2009. And it was the first time since 1964 a Bobcat coach has beat Weber State in their first ever matchup against them. So a lot of accomplishments there for first-year head coach Dave Sprinkle. Also share a couple interviews that are a little bit older, but not necessarily as timely, just pertinent to the cause here. Dante Olson won the Buck Buchanan Award a couple weeks back. And we were able to get him on the phone right before he won that award. And he shared a lot of thoughts just about his time at the University of Montana. So I thought that one was worth sharing. And we'll also hear from Bo Baldwin, new head coach at Eastern Washington. We actually did this interview at the end of 2019, late December. But Bo Baldwin, no longer at Eastern Washington. Excuse me, that's just an old habit. He's at Cal Poly now. He coached at Eastern Washington for nine years. He's been at Cal the last three years. Now he is back in the big sky at Cal Poly so we'll get his thoughts on being back in the league as well. Big Sky Breakdown presented by Town Pump, SkylineSportsMT.com, every day, every season. Thanks for listening. Hey, yo, welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. through Nuanas as always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you late January. We've only had some football recruiting, some FCS National Championship stuff, but we haven't really dove into basketball hardly at all in the Big Sky Breakdown. We had some stuff in the non-conference when Montana and Montana State were navigating largely opposite but also uh, largely interesting non-conference schedules. The rest of the Big Sky Conference, as always, sporadic in their non-conference scheduling. Sometimes you're playing Portland Bible College or Multnomah State, and sometimes you're playing Oregon or Washington, so kind of hard to discern some things. But we wanted to get one more Big Sky Breakdown in in the month of January here. This Big Sky Breakdown brought to you by Town Pump, Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. We really appreciate Town Pump for supporting the Big Sky Breakdown over these last eight or nine months. It's been a great partnership for us at Skyline Sports as well as ESPN Missoula and SWX Montana. No matter where you're at in Montana, there is a Town Pump near you. Ryan Tutel on the mic joining me. How are you doing?
1: Hi, boys and girls. Yes, I'm doing uh, fantastically well.
0: In the name of shameless cross-promotion as well, the other reason our Big Sky basketball podcasts have been a little bit sparing compared to the three to four that we give you every week during football season is that we've been really grinding on another podcast. And I shouldn't say it's been a grind because it's actually been one of the most pleasurable experiences of my career. I, I love – anybody that knows me knows I love history, and I love talking to uh, my elders. And we have had a chance to interview every single living men's basketball coach from the University of Montana, from Jim Brandenburg all the way through Mike Montgomery, Stu Morrill, Blaine Taylor, Don Holst, Pat Kennedy, Wayne Tinkle, Larry Kristoviak, and now Travis Dekir, the current head men's basketball coach. About 45 minutes to an hour on each one of them, their connections to the University of Montana, and the coaching tree that stems from Judd Heathcote's legacy. So check it out, Grizz Greats. You can find it on any of your podcasting platforms. Grizz Greats, A Coaching Tree is the specific title. We actually are going to do some other branches off of this uh in in due time but we're gonna get this one out in front of you guys as well so go subscribe go review you've loved this right
1: yeah it's been it's been fantastic uh we've we're releasing them each Tuesday if you're looking for them out there but if you subscribe to Grizz greats uh the coaching tree podcast you can just search Grizz greats uh, then it'll just find you, as is the nature of podcasts. But yeah, tremendously fun. The first two episodes with Jim Brandenburg and Mike Montgomery are out right now, and uh, and Mike Montgomery really probably the most uh, accomplished of these coaches in terms of what he did over the course of his career, uh, and also uh, very very central to the fact that there is a tree because of you know obviously Stu Morrill was on his staff, but also even guys like Blaine Taylor and, and uh, Travis DeCure, who was on his staff at Cal when he was there, in terms of being at a place where you you know get the experience and the experience at a level that you need to then become a Division I head coach in your own right, and all of these guys uh, have sort of found their way back to Mike Montgomery uh, at some point, not all of them, but many of them, and he has been very central in the, in the, in the why this has been such a successful coaching lineage Uh, and so it's a a great episode but all of them have been an absolute blast and and these guys I mean anytime you talk to coaches about not about not basketball I mean they love talking hoops too but just about the basketball life so to speak and their life in general it's uh, it it, I think opens them up it's something different than what they normally do and it seems like some of that has shown through so it's been it's been really fun I think the listeners will get a a hoot out of it Colton no
0: doubt and it's uh we always talk about how sports is a parallel for life. And I think people that love sports understand that, maybe people that don't aren't all in, you know, all all over sports like some of us are. Yeah. Maybe they don't see it quite as much or they think that might, that might be an exaggeration, but one of my favorite things as someone that does a, a bunch of long form interviews is the arc of someone's sports life and also the way that an individual can compartmentalize, embrace, and express their memories. So in other words, at Skyline Sports, we do profile stories on incoming football, basketball, men's and women's basketball recruits. And, and every once in a while, if it's a, a big-time track get or whatever, we, we profile a lot of teenagers, 16-, 17-, 18-year-olds. And so often in Montana, some of these kids are from in-state, a lot of times they're from small towns, and a lot of times the stories are are similar even if they have different details. You know, I grew, I grew up in Twin Bridges. My dad went to Montana State. I wanted to be a Bobcat my whole life. I grew up in Columbia Falls. My dad played at Montana once upon a time. I wanted to be a Grizz forever. You know, I grew up on a ranch, and, and one of the Big Nell brothers was my hero, and I always wanted to go fall into his footsteps.
1: Everybody so, in Montana is related to a Big Nell, so that <laughs> is a pretty common yeah, thread. Yeah. Yes.
0: I, I'm doing my Montana Football <laughs> Hall of Fame bios, and uh, – one of the guys we're inducting is Steve Okanuski, who if you know, you know, but I think maybe sometimes gets forgotten because he only played two years at the University of Montana. He was a transfer from Washington, but he went on to play in the NFL for seven or eight years. First of all, what a classic guy. I mean, hilarious. I was laughing. I asked him six questions in a 57-minute interview. He's told me every story that there ever was, including telling me when he got traded from the Bills to the Packers. He was eating a hand sandwich at Stockman's Bar at one thirty in the morning, and someone came up to him with a newspaper and showed him. But this story somehow then comes full circle. He's like, yeah, so then when I got out of the NFL, I decided my first job after football was going to be coaching in Deer Lodge. And I was like, huh. So he moves from uh, St. Louis, because he's playing for the St. Louis Cardinals his last couple of years, to Deer Lodge, Montana. And I said, huh. He's like, I love Montana. So I just wanted to get back to Montana. Any job in Montana. But then it comes full circle that I said, well, did you coach any like really good players or anything at Deer Lodge? And he said, yeah. We won back-to-back state titles. I had this tight end named Joe Bignell. I said, "Oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, you did saw, win a couple I, of state I, I titles, then, right?" And I thought his analysis on that—not to completely go on a tangent here—but I thought his analysis on it was so great. You know, he talked about, you know, Joe Bignell, just like his son Mac, who played for the Cats. They both have severe hearing impairment. And Okanuski said, "Man, I played in the NFL for seven years. I played with O.J. Simpson in Buffalo. I played, you know, with all these great players." And he said Joe Big is the most talented and highest sports IQ person I have ever been around in wow. my life. He said he just he was playing tight end and no no NFL team would give him a shot right. because they just didn't know if he could be able to hear the calls. And so I thought that was that was interesting. But anyways, we do all these recruiting stories and 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 uh, it, it's so fun to talk to kids and just the innocence of kids and what it's like to achieve one of your first goals, one of your first dreams. But then it becomes so interesting as guys' careers in college progress, because especially like basketball guys, if if you stick with a program and stay with a team, chances are you're going to be doing interviews pretty often. I mean, guys like even Kendall Manuel, Gerald, Jared or not who are not having great senior years for the Grizz, they have received a ton of media attention, even as just kind of role-player guys until this year, just because they're from Montana. And so then I think that you become – Maybe maybe numbs the wrong. word. You become accustomed to being interviewed, and like the novelty and how fun it is, and being in the paper, being on Skyline Sports, whatever. Right. It's not necessarily, you know, the 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 one thrilling time that that sports writer called you and you got your first article. And guys kind of become numb to it. And then when you were a real star, then sometimes it can become like a burden. You know, I mean, right. like I made a point to talk to Ahmad Rory twice a week last year because I, you know, Ahmad Rory was the dude. I mean, he was the best point guard in the league, and I just thought, you know. This guy's a four-star recruit once upon a time who lived in a dorm room with Ben Simmons. I'm just going to take advantage of of knowing him. And, you know, I mean, I think that Ahmad was kind of like, man, I just don't know how much more I got to say right. <laughs> at some point. But but then it's so fun, and then as your career d- dwindles down, to kind of put it in perspective. And then we always do senior profiles on guys. And the the ones for guys like, you know, Zach Wright, who played d tackle for the Cats, who's never going to go pro, listening to him r- remember... His career is fun, but also putting things, uh, putting your life in perspective when you're 23, if you can do it, you're very mature. That's that's very cool, but also your life has been very short. And so then it comes full circle, and I think that, I mean, a guy like Mike Montgomery, I mean, how many interviews has this guy done? A million?
1: One. I'm Grizz Greats, <laughs> the Coaching Tree but that, Podcast. But
0: that's what I'm saying is then then when you get to go interview a guy like Jim Brandenburg who probably, who probably did a million interviews until the mid-90s and then probably hasn't done more than five since then and right. probably hasn't done a single one in a decade, then the spark comes full circle. Right. And that's the sports' is life. And that's why this podcast was so cool, and that's why the my Montana Football Hall of Fame project is cool, or anytime you know somebody is at, in the later years of their life, having them remember the enthusiasm they have to remember. That, that's what's so great. Do you
1: respect me as an elder? Absolutely. Okay, good. You're one Just of my so idols. Clear. What
0: do you mean? <laughs> You're the only dad I know who doesn't hate his life. <laughs>
1: Oh, come on now. That's not true. I do I know, hate my life. I
0: know a ton of dads that don't hate their <laughs> lives, but it's because they live so their children's lives. You're the only dad I know that doesn't live your children's life and still enjoys it.
1: That is a fact. I make my children live my life, and I don't know if they enjoy it, but I'm having a ball.
0: It's very, uh, it's very reminiscent of my childhood to me, because as my grandmother used to tell me, I... Am not and will never be your friend. I am your grandmother. <laughs> if you want a playmate, go outside. <laughs>
1: Thank you, grandma. <laughs> Dude, what? the hardcore Arizonans, man. Oh yeah, no. The uh, Mar- of the Margaret,
0: whole deal. Margaret Conaway. What a what a gal. Smartest lady I ever met. She gradu She graduated. This is a great stat. She graduated from Brown University. Wow. With a degree in what do they call phlebotomy? Is that right? Like blood research. Okay. Yeah. When she was 19. No way. This is in 1936. You, when like women don't even, aren't even allowed to go to college.
1: That, that is, that's, that's truly amazing. She graduated remarkable. high school yeah. when she
0: was 15.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. I never felt smart what, a day did in my she, life. Did she, what, did she grow up on the East Coast? My grandmother, no. She grew up um, actually, ironically, this is my mom's side of the family mm. in Montana. Okay. A lot uh, when she was young in yeah. Helena. Um, and then I I don't know where she lived in her, like, 20s, but then she met my grandfather in Portland. She was working at a hospital in Portland and met my grandfather. He was from Hood River. Wow. And then he went to World War II and then came back, and then they did the suburban, you know, live in the suburbs thing. You want like to know,
1: 50s. my dad, uh, he went to, well, he went to Durango uh College is it called Durango College? Whatever it is in Durango, whatever the school is. I think
0: there. it's uh, it used to be Durango. Now it's Fort Lewis. Yeah,
1: Fort Lewis. That's right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It is Fort Lewis, and it was when he went to. I've heard Durango's cool. I've heard it too. I haven't been, hmm. so I don't know. but then cool he, he went Durango. to. Uh, if I, if I think I have this right, is he he started there and then they he, they ended up at Colorado State. You know who the valedictorian of my father's graduating class was? Who's that? his mom <laughs> she went back to in school college. in college because she just loved it and couldn't go she they she had uh children very young and so ended up you know not going to school in virtue of that and uh and then finally when they were old enough she got to do what she had always wanted to do which was go to college and she of course when you're an actual, you know, 40 something, 50 something year old adult who just has wanted to go to school your whole life and now you get the opportunity to might be a little more invested than your 20 year old, you know, son who's winning pizza, you know, by the slice eating contests on the weekends. <laughs> so, uh, you know, shout out to the grandmas out there.
0: No doubt. Big Sad breakdown brought to you in part by Town Pump, Town Pump, Montana's best. Since 1953, no matter where you're at in Montana, there's a Town Pump near you. Everywhere. A sock's a big sky hoop, huh? How
1: about it? I mean, we're 15 minutes in. We'll we go, might as well, well, well go, do we'll it. We'll go a
0: little quick hitting because I think broadly the narrative on both sides of the league, men's and women's, the narrative coming in was what's the league going to be like with the loss of an unbelievable amount of premier and memorable players. In a league that I've covered for 14 years now, I would rank in terms of just memorability – Oh, Ahmad Rory Jamarico and Michael Ogine from the most recent Grizz team, and probably headband Bobby Moorhead just because he's a part of that group too, and we love Bobby. Obviously, he's a friend of this show. Well, Playoff's and I mean, the,
1: I mean, he's hugely integral to what they I mean, did. He started, about the defensive end, I mean, and did he start the and, most
0: games in Montana history? That's right. So, but I mean, Ogine from from a, from a fan favorite fan perspective yep. is my favorite player that Montana's ever had. I, I love Michael Ogine. Yep. I think that he's. Uh, electric and magnetic, but then you also look across the league. I mean, Tyler Hall was must see TV for me all the time. I mean, I, I was driving to Bozeman every weekend to see Tyler Hall. Didn't he just like? did just, he just bury seven threes in he, a D he League game? He scored twenty six points. He's playing for the Rochester G League team for uh, the New York Knicks. G League, and he was uh, he was finding his way early, and now he's he's gotten it locked in a Aren't little bit. Aren't the Knicks the G League team of Rochester? <laughs> Gosh, isn't that the truth? Uh, but I mean then you had you know Jordan Davis at Northern Colorado and um you know the, it was it was a great men's league to have I mean the the two all-time leading scorers in the history of the league Tyler Hall and Jordan Davis played parallel careers that's yeah. amazing in itself yeah. and then on the women's side you know those guys we just named are, are among great players and we'll see how history remembers them 20 some odd years from now but on the women's side there's no question That the Splash Sisters at Idaho, Michaela Forenz and Taylor Pierce, were two of the most unforgettable players. maybe in college basketball history, to have two girls on the same team that hit 400-plus career three-pointers. To have Taylor Pierce set and reset the single-season record while she's playing as the secondary scorer. She set set and reset the three-point record while she's playing alongside... The young lady who set the single season scoring record in points two years in a row, and the career scoring record in Michaela Ferens. That in itself was amazing. It, it, uh, sometimes and Savannah while, Smith too. And Savannah Smith in Colorado, Colorado was, was an all timer as well, multiple time MVP. Yeah. And as Shannon Schwein, Lady Grizz head coach, described her, probably like the Steph Curry of yeah. of Big Sky basketball. But we were the narrative come in was what's the league going to look like without some of these players. And then I think that the narrative has then shifted to exactly what you'd expect from a league shrouded in mystery. All we know is that it's pretty much even. And whoever plays the best and whoever maybe has got the freshest legs and whoever maybe has the home court is going to be the team that's going to win. I think the one outlier in either league is the Montana State women. I think the Montana State women are going to be hard to really topple. I think that they have all the ingredients. They have five seniors. They have a veteran head coach who's really solidifying herself as one of, if not the best coaches in the league, and Trisha Benford. And then they also have stellar freshmen, too. They have have Darren White. I mean, Bill Lamberty from Montana State Sports Information, he told me the other day after staffing the last Bobcat women's game, he said, Darren White is Erica Perry reincarnate. Anybody that's followed Big Sky Basketball, if you know Erica Perry was the first great guard that Trisha Binford brought to Montana State. When when Benford took over, they were like a three and twenty three team, and then she got Erica Perry in there and they started incrementally getting better. And then Perry was a two time first team all league player. If Darren White becomes that, they'll be plenty happy to have her, because Erica Perry is one of the great players in their program's history. Uh so I think that Montana State's women are the outlier here. Uh, I think that they it's gonna take it would it would be disastrous if they didn't Get a, a top four seat. I think that that's that's kind of where they're at. I think Idaho's probably got an inside track, but everything else, it just seems so wide open on both sides. The Montana men are in the driver's seat on the guys' side, but at, we were talking to Riley Corcoran yesterday. He's like, you know, is is Weber in a funk or is is we were just bad? Is Idaho State a surprise or is the league just even? And we were, I, I said, I think that everybody in the men's side can be bad and can be good, and the only two teams that I think are going to be more consistently good than bad are Montana and Northern Colorado, but I still don't think that that means they're impervious to being bad. I mean, Northern Colorado lost Northern Arizona last week, and Montana, who knows? I mean, they, they've been great lately, but they they could have a dip soon, too. So we'll see. But let's start, let's start with the women. Lady Grizz are at home tonight. That We're recording this on Thursday, January 23rd. Lady Grizz hosts Weber State tonight, uh, a 1-6 and six Weber State squad. Are, are they, is, no, excuse me. Lady Grizz hosts Idaho State tonight.
1: Correct. Weber State on Saturday. Idaho State's 3-4. and four, uh, Tonight coming into uh, Missoula, Weber State 1-5. and five. Now we'll see what they are, presumably 1-6 and six after they play in Bozeman against Montana State, who is on top of the uh, women's standings at 6-1 and one right now. Lady Grizz started off 3-0. and oh. uh, They played... You know they and and beat three mediocre to lower half teams in the Big Sky Conference. Mm -hmm. They've now gone one and three in their last four. Uh, A very controversial and disappointing loss in Idaho with an inadvertent whistle that uh, cost them an opportunity to you know get a last shot, and they were uh, end up losing by one. Uh, obviously no guarantee that you win that game anyway, but still you know, certainly a frustrating way for that to go, especially when you've kind of been on a bit of a snide here. But to, we know how how much better Montana plays in Dahlberg Arena, the Lady Grizz. I mean, it's just night and day. Mm-hmm. And so uh, these are two huge games, though, for the Lady Grizz. I mean, they have the talent, uh, especially when you talked about all the turnover that's happened in the Big Sky Conference, to have – uh you know have something to say in this in this league and frankly they need that I mean Shannon Schwain we know about the injuries and, and everything else but at the end of the day since she's taken over this program has not been very good uh and certainly not you know at a level that it has been accustomed to being granted I mean you're talking about a legend so I get all that but this is a year where I think that needs to happen I mean that totally. that 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 uh, next level needs to be attained for Montana State. And they are 4-3 right now, which is fine. I mean, they're in, they're still in great shape, but they need to get some wins. And, you know, maybe Weber State coming to, you know, your house on Saturday is one that you obviously ha- have to get, but you need to get. But if they could get a, a sweep at home mm-hmm. and find themselves at 6-3 and three, uh, heading into the Cat Grizz game Next week, which is in Missoula, first meeting of two uh, in Missoula. Um, that that is major. That that is huge, and it takes to me a lot of pressure off, and also sets up a little bit of a. I mean, Cagra is always going to be a great rivalry game, and all that kind yep. of stuff. But uh, Montana State has owned this women's rivalry in its in recent several years. I mean,
0: this this senior class of Montana State, Oleon Squares, Blair Braxton, Madeline Smith, the, the three Montana State seniors that have been there for. For the three for three years now, this is their fourth year. They yeah. haven't lost to the Lady
1: Grizz. Right. And so this is a uh, – uh but and, and they're you know, again, this is a team that was picked to and is proving that they are the best team in the women's side in a in a in a conference that has a ton of parody in it. It's pretty much been the Lady Cats that have kind of separated themselves out a little bit from everybody else. Obviously, Idaho in that mix as well. The Lady Grizz though if they were 6 and 3 going into that game and Montana State is whatever that that they are even if they're 8 and 1 this sets up a showdown that's bigger than just Montana Montana State it's 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 a conference wide sort of demonstration of where these two teams are at and for for Montana it is a real measuring stick and so uh you know we'll see how how this thing sets up but I think this game tonight is a very very big game against a, a decent Idaho State team uh, but one that you gotta get, I think, for the Lady Grizz at home. I mean just 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 need to have it
0: the It's so easy to to pin offensive superstars as, as memorable players, and <clears throat> Idaho State's the antithesis of what Northern Colorado and Idaho have done the last couple of years in terms of being wide open and and really flossy on offense. Idaho State grinds you into dust. That's Seton Sobolewski's style. he always recruits. Big, strong women that play defense, and it's never pretty. But they're the best tournament team in in the big sky, with the exception of Idaho, over the last four years because they can just out-physical you. They don't have to shoot 50%. They're going to make you shoot 35%. I mean, Idaho State played, since the, the tournament went to neutral site, they've played in three out of four championship games. They know how to win in March for sure. But this Idaho State team, they don't have the same they don't have that Grace Kenyon, who is kind of like the Dennis Rodman, Ben Wallace of the, but a better scorer certainly than those guys. But, but you know, kind of the dirty work, tough, tough enforcer. They don't have her anymore. They don't have Sailor Grandin, who's you know the point forward coming downhill at you all day. So it's a little bit more of a vulnerable Idaho State team, but the style is still the same. So this is, to me, this is the first huge measuring stick for the Lady Grizz. They're yeah. at home. They beat Idaho State at home last year, but this is a matchup where. You know We've seen this Montana team, when things are going well, they look great. And when Mackenzie Johnson's out and running and she's pushing the ball, they're fun to watch. And when her and Sophia Stiles can alternate playing on the ball, they can move it pretty well. Gabby Harrington's an interesting weapon because she can do so many things. She can rebound so well from the guard spot. Emma Stockholm's a five that can step out and hit threes. They have pieces. The Lady Grizz do. But the, the biggest Achilles heel they've had under Shannon Schwain is that when it's going well, it's going well. When it's not, it's bad. They, they fall into the dumps. And, I mean, at Portland State, a couple, I think two games ago, they're shooting like 30%, and they, they can't do anything. They, they fell apart. They stopped playing defense. They stopped doing everything. And that's the, the, the issue this, that this team has. So I agree it's a big weekend in Montana for women's basketball because Idaho State's going to give Montana State. I mean, there's Montana-Montana State's the premier rivalry in the league in men's, women's basketball, and football. It just is because the biggest fan bases exist in Montana for the Big Sky Conference. But every each of those teams has like a secondary rival, right? Like Montana men, their secondary rival is Eastern Washington. In football, a lot of times it's Eastern Washington as well for Montana. You know, Montana State, they have several secondary rivals. Idaho has become one, especially because of Jeff Choate's Idaho ties. But the fiercest rivalry in the Big Sky in terms of Crazy competitive games between the top teams is Montana State and Idaho State. These teams went to overtime, I think, five times in the span of a four- or five-year span. I mean, Idaho State hit the three-quarter court heave at the buzzer to beat the top-seeded Bobcats the first year in Reno. Mm. That was coming off of a season finale game in Bozeman that went to double overtime. I mean— They've been the thorn in each other's sides. There's been some of the epic games. I mean, I think the single game scoring record in the Big Sky Conference is Katie Bussey in Pocatello for Montana State, scoring yeah. 41 points. So we've had some some crazy results. So it's a big weekend. It'll be fun to have the the women's teams in town and go check them out.
1: The Lady Cats will be seven and one on Saturday when they face Idaho State because yeah, Weber they State's will, really uh, really strong They will roll tonight uh, over Weaver. So that's uh, that's that that we don't need to do a lot of analysis there. But that will be that will be a fun and that's why. I mean, the, the games that you got to have, sometimes there's more pressure. I don't think that that's going to be a, a thing tonight for yeah. Montana State. And, and
0: one quick note on Weaver State. I mean, some of these programs get no coverage, so people don't really know the stories. But once upon a time, Weaver State's women's basketball team had lost 50-plus straight conference games. They were absolutely the worst program in the league. It's not even close. They hired Beth Ann Ord, who was an assistant from Louisville, and she got them from winless to... Okay to back to back 21 seasons and their old AD, we were it's old AD, he would not give her a long term contract extension. I don't know why. I'm not gonna speculate as to why, but two years ago, Beth Ann then bounced and went to Binghamton of all places. Hmm. Sometimes you just get what you deserve. I mean, I thought Beth Ann was an outstanding coach. I thought that I mean if you can get Weaver State from no wins to 20 wins. <laughs> You might be in line for a Pac 12 job at this point. I mean, and she had Jeff Graham ties and she had coached at Louisville. And so her moving on, that really has hurt Weber yeah. State. And Weber State was competitive and they're not anymore at this exact moment. So we'll see how that transpires. On the men's side, Gus, I just got one question for you. Yeah. What's the most surprising thing you've seen in the league so far?
1: the most surprising thing you're going to tell me is the most expected thing there's 11 teams okay in the league yeah eight of them are either 4 and 2 or 3 and 4 yeah i mean that you're talking about one game of separation between what turns out to be over 75% of the league i mean that that to me is crazy i mean that is that is a surprise we we didn't know who was going to be good, but he, over the course of what is almost a half a season, you expect that you're going to figure it out. And let, look, we we do know Montana's going to be good and is good. I think that Northern Colorado and probably Eastern Washington are also sort of going to be there ultimately. But when you talk about a team, even Idaho, that we've talked about ad nauseum on the show Who's one in five, and their five losses are by a combined thirteen points. They suffered their biggest conference loss to Montana. They lost by four in Missoula. By the way, last week, it, it's it's it is surprising that they're that good. The other th- that that or that that this this thing is this close that this is completely mashed up right. like that. The other thing that's surprising, I mean, I would be. Too big like uh, I mean it's the programs that we're around the most, Montana, Montana State, but I I'm I'm I am stunned that Montana is this good right now, at this point. What I watched in the non conference, you went, This is this is a five hundred big sky team. I mean, they, they lose or to maybe Montana even Tech. Worse. I mean You know, and and
0: they, they were having a hard time. I mean, Montana State Northern is gonna probably finish fifth in the seventeen Frontier Conference League and they took Montana all the way. To yeah, that was a
1: competitive game. The freshman, uh, and we know, of course, it's going to take a, lo- a, a little while for kids to integrate when they are playing as true freshmen and ex- or, or even redshirt freshmen into day-in, day-out, Division one college basketball. I mean, you know, I don't care what AAU team you played on. I don't care what school, you know, what state you're from or whatever. It just is, it's a, it, there's a huge uh, uh, uptick in competition and in just trying to do that grind of what an actual college, you know, basketball season is, but but the freshmen for the University of Montana looked just bad. I mean, they didn't. They 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 needed so much work on where they needed to be and do and progress in basically every facet yep. and. The corner that they turned in the way that they've played basketball basically since they entered Big Sky Conference play has been really remarkable. And I Mm -hmm. think the, you know, Timmy Falls not being a starter at the beginning of the year, I thought what is going to happen just from a personality and, uh, you know, team chemistry standpoint. And now he's basically been the guy and gotten the nod. and, And they've even done a double backcourt too with him and Josh Vasquez. But Timmy Falls has been really good, really good in this in this last month and a half. Yep. And Saeed Pridget has also – he's always really good, but he's been great within the context of this team. I mean, he's not just been individually outstanding. He's sent an assist out. I mean, he was two rebounds away from a triple-double, which would have only been the fourth in school history. I mean, he had 10 assists yep. in the game. Yep. And however many points it was, I don't recall in that particular one, but uh, that's that's remarkable. And, and you know, I thought, you know, when they go and just pound Eastern Washington in Jordan. Cheney, I mean, that was completely eye-opening to yep. me. And not to say that that's going to happen night in and night out, but that they had the capacity to do that to that team that's a more veteran team than what they are that was, you know, expected and is one of the better teams in the Big Sky Conference. Uh, I thought, wow, okay. I mean, that's that's pretty remarkable. And right now, uh, I thought you made an absolutely outstanding point on the show. Uh, earlier, there's nights Mac Anderson's playing six minutes. There's nights he's playing twenty six minutes. There's nights that Jared Samuelson is playing eight minutes and getting four shots and and four points. And there's nights that he's scoring career highs of twenty three and going five of eight beyond the arc or whatever it is in thirty minutes of play. And Nobody seems to be particularly begrudging, not just like it's we're not talking about oh, you played twenty minutes tonight, you played seventeen the next night. You're talking about you were like the the eighth or ninth guy one night, and you were starting effectively right. the next night. I mean there's been huge swings based on matchups, and this is a team that seems like it's okay with that by and large uh and and at this point, six and one that's where you start to get buy-in from your team that says, okay, man, like, Travis, if you say that today is not my day, that I'm going to come in and do a couple of roll things and give you some energy for five minutes, and that's what it's going to be, because I, first of all, expect that we're going to win this game because, you know, whatever, and also because I I know that the next matchup, you know, it's going to be my turn to get in there and go to work. And obviously you have the you know the, the leaders in Saeed, Bridget, Kendall, Manwell, who are going to be you know thirty five minute a game guys, um, but the rotation has been pretty remarkable, and I give the the coaches a lot of credit for knowing who and how and pressing the right buttons both on the floor and and seemingly personality wise at this point, which maybe is one of the benefits to having a young team. You know, we talk about having an, a veteran team and how great it is to have leadership and everything like that. There is also great expectations yes. from the part of the upperclassmen, generally speaking. And so when you bring in a Jared Samuelson who's a, a, a grad transfer, but it's still just his second year in the program, and only his only year, you know, here at the end, he's ready to do anything that he wants to. You know what I? Or, you know that he's asked of. Excuse me. And the young kids, they're still at an age where, okay, coach, yes, coach, you got it, we'll do it. You know, jump higher, run faster, whatever you say. And uh, and that has proven thus far to be big. I think. Again, it all comes down to Boise, and I think uh, this is going to be the biggest clean slate that we've seen in terms of coming out of a, of, in terms of the regular season not mattering almost at all going into the tournament. But as of right now, that is a it is a surprise to me because what I saw in October and November was not good out of the University of Montana, not, sure. not good, and even in wins it was bad, and and now it looks it's it's remarkable, it really is.
0: It might seem like blasphemy to say it, but this team, to me, they don't have the nowhere close to the star power or the talent of the last two years. But to me, in certain ways, they are much more appealing to watch and cover, just because. Like we're not, we're not going to throw specific guys under the bus, but make no mistake: despite 52 wins over the last two years and back-to-back Big Sky regular season and conference tournament championships, there was plenty of dysfunction on the University of Montana men's basketball team. You could just look at the bench. There's there's some young guys that were going nuts, waving the towel, having fun, and there's a whole bunch of other guys that were pouting. Mm-hmm. And it, it was each of the last three years, there was always one or two guys who were supposed to be in that top eight that were disgruntled with their role. And then when it was their turn, they weren't ready to roll. And a lot of those guys then subsequently left the program or didn't get the opportunities that they probably should have while they are with the program. And this year – it's not to say that there's always going to be some sort of unrest in Division I college basketball. It's just kind of the, the way of the world. But by and large, the hierarchy of roles is so much more defined on this team and everybody seems to be buying in. And you mentioned the freshman improvement, but to me, the improvements of the freshmen have been made possible by the emergence of the seniors. Yes, Saeed Pridget sacrificing maybe not being the go-to scorer, he's still averaging 18 points per game. But he's not – running all the ISO stuff and all the just run to the block and get the ball stuff that he had so much success with last year. Sometimes he's playing on the ball. He's playing on the point. When they play the lineup that has Timmy Falls, Josh Vasquez, and Syed Pritchett, that's an interesting lineup because you got three dudes who can handle the ball. And then it doesn't matter what big you put in there, because you can run the break and then you have athletic bigs like Mac Anderson, Derek Carter Hollinger who can fill the lane. And that's I mean it's it's kind of like the Warriors lineup of death but in a different way. Not the shooting but you can just you can create crazy matchups in this league.
1: Saeed Pridget is the most versatile player that I've I've seen Montana have in the Coach DeCure era. Mm-hmm. He 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 can play one through five guard and one play through five. guard one through five. He can do it all at the Big Sky Conference level. He can pass the ball. He can draw. He can get his shot when he wants it. He's he's a tenable jump shooter. He's not a great jump shooter, but he can hit an open shot if he's left alone and around the cup. He is as good as it gets, i mean his his instinct is just knack for touch, feel, knowing where to roll, knowing which direction to go with it. it's it 's unlike anything i 've ever seen that said where he has developed so much this year to me is knowing when to do what yeah he he can he can do it all any anytime, and he was forcing it early that 's right he was getting his shots, and it sometimes felt like these guys aren 't playing well, I need to take over, and that 's probably the right. Conclusion to come to in instances, but now he is, he, and 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 again I give the coaches credit on this as well. Coming to a point where he is he is knowing when okay I I need to get a shot up here I need to you know be available for my guys or other times where he gets right into the hole and is distributing and the ball movement has been a million times better in conference for the Grizzlies, which is why their offenses look so much better. But again, I give. I give Saeed Bridget a ton of credit for doing all the things he's always done, but doing them, it, he has such a great sense for when to do it. And that's, that's the how, do, how much better do you make your teammates and, and the basketball IQ and all of that. And right now it's, it's flowing for him.
0: Early on, when Jared Samuelson's knee wasn't healthy and Kendall Manuel was marred in a terrible shooting slump, then the scout for Montana became incredibly simple. Josh Vasquez and Kyle Owens were both in the starting lineup. So you just get all over Manuel, deny him the ball, and when he shoots it, just make sure that he's getting contact and that you have a hand in his face. Make Timmy Falls shoot the ball. Make Josh Vasquez shoot the ball. Make Kyle Owens shoot the ball. Double, triple, quadruple team side, Bridget. Do whatever you want. And that's why their offense had such a hard time flowing. Well, then you add Samuelson back to the lineup, and now that relieves a lot of pressure on everybody because he can pick and pop. Now you don't have to start Kyle Owens anymore. He can just be an energy guy, a long defensive guy who gets a couple shots, coming off the bench rather than, like when he was starting, swing the ball to the corner, he's wide open. He can make that shot. He has to shoot it. But it's not necessarily the best shot for him right now in his career. So just sandwiching back, it eases Kyle Owens' role. The emergence of Derek Carr, hollinger and Mac Anderson. I think that the thing that Pritchett learned, because early he was not only trying to get his shot, he was also trying to be a facilitator. But think about those Pac-12 games, like Stanford and Washington are the specific ones that come to mind. He was trying to make so much happen, where he would try to make a fancy pass, and he'd just throw it out of bounds. Or he finally just learned that Mac Anderson and Derek Carr Hollinger, especially Mac Anderson, Mac Anderson's not going to do anything offensively except for dunk. <laughs> but if you get him dunks, he could get you five or six dunks. He'll a game. rock and roll, yeah. So have patience, and then just hand him the ball. When yeah. everybody draws it on you, here you go, Mac, dunk it for me. And that's what they did. Like against Portland State, he had four straight dunks. When Bridget yeah. got in the lane, jump stop. Bounce pass, Mac Anderson, dunk. Lob, Mac Anderson, dunk. And so Pridget's patience has then helped Mac Anderson as well. And then Manuel starting to make shots. Okay, now you can't just take him away. you got to respect everybody else. And so then when you collapse on Timmy Falls, Kendall Manuel can make it. And it, the hierarchy of what's going on, the, the, the domino effect of everybody helping right. everybody, then you put all that together. And then when Derek Carter-Hollinger comes in the game, you just say, hey, kid just get me the ball. Right. Just go get it. Go get the ball, block it, rebound it, dunk it, whatever you need to do. Well, and they they that's where this coach has deserved so much credit. They didn't tweak it to the point of complicated. They made it simple. Yeah. They said to every guy, here's what you do well. Stop trying to do anything else. Just do what you do well. And that's coaching. That's great coaching to me.
1: The the other thing too is you mentioned Kendall Manuel, but his shooting was poor in a non-conference and it it
0: was it was horrible.
1: And it is He's been lighting it up. I mean, he's been making I mean, everything how about, in Big Sky How about, how about play. this
0: for a hot take? If the season if the Big Sky season ended right now, right now, just seven games in, Kendall Manuel is my Big Sky MVP. I mean. he's at, Right now, here's, here's his splits in Big Sky play. He's averaging 18.9 points per game, which is third in the league in conference play. He, this is a jump shooter. He's a jump shooter. He's not a guy around the whole lot. Is the he point. doesn't get layups. He's shooting 51.2% from the floor, 57.7% from three, and 89.8% from the free throw line.
1: Yeah, and that's low for him, actually. <laughs> right. Um, and, and, and the other thing is Jared Samuelson hitting—I mean, being a true threat from beyond the arc, when your big steps out and does that to you, uh, the defense is co- at a complete—I mean, it it, it skewers a defense, man, when all of a sudden you got to vacate the lane because you got to guard— a four or a five because he's going, you know, 50% or better from outside and not one of two, three of six, four of seven. I mean, that that's that's killer. So that's the team. Colton, let's talk about the Montana State Bobcats.
0: I was thinking about this last night because I was looking, I was just doing a little late-night research going through the the conference-only stats because I think that, especially in hoops, you got to throw the overall stats this time of year out the window. because
1: yeah, it's got to be conference.
0: I mean, Eastern Washington Easter scored 156 points against Multnomah. No. So, of course, they're leading the league in scoring. Montana, in overall scoring, I think is 11th in the league. Well, they played Oregon and Washington and New Mexico. And, yeah. you know, so the stats are skewed. Just looking at the conference stats, though, the one thing that really stood out to me is that Montana State is – they are leading the league in um, field goal per- three-point percentage defense and they're second in the league in field goal percentage defense. They're also f- tied for fourth in the league in scoring defense. Now, if you knew anything about the last five years of Montana State basketball, they were going to lead the league in three-point makes per game. They were likely going to be towards the top of the league in three-point shooting percentage. They were likely going to be in the top three in scoring, and they were going to be somewhere – at or near the bottom in defense and rebounding, it's the way Brian Fish built the squad. But the other thing is that Montana State, for as great as some of the players they had the last couple of years were, they were just ham and egging it with their lineups. And they were playing Kelvin Blevins at the four. Kelvin Blevins is like six three and a half, six four. He's not. He, I mean, he's a stout guy, but he, he's no. By, by no means a rim protector. I mean, you got Sam Newman as a four year starter for the Cats. I mean, Sam Newman's not even as tall as Tyler Hall. Yeah. Sam Newman's guarding Jamara co. Like, good luck, yeah. you know? I mean, bless his heart. Sam Newman's one of our favorites, one of the funniest guys. No doubt. And one of the guy that played so much heart, and he's the all-time leader in league history, I think, in charges and flops. But he's not, <laughs> But like, even as good as he's going to do, he's not protecting the rim ever. You're going right. to give up six to eight extra points per game at the Cup, and that's the difference between being first and last in the league in scoring defense. So, to me, Danny Sprinkle has while he continues to build his roster at MSU, has made this thing very simple. Their goals are threefold. Make and shoot more free throws than the other team. Okay, done. Montana State is far and away the best free throw shooting team in the Big Sky Conference. They have made 14 more free throws than anybody in the league. They've shot... Two more free throws than anybody in the league, and they're also shooting free throws at an eighty-one point nine, so eighty-two percent clip.
1: That is remarkable for a team to be at eighty plus, over eighty percent from the from the line. I mean, you're really? you're, ma-
0: you're making up a six to eight point talent deficiency scoring deficit, just by making free throws, correct? So so that's helped them stay in games. And then the fact that they just have added a couple functional, and, and in Jabril Bellows' case, uh, filled with potential big guys, absolutely to the lineup. And they've been able to compete rebounding the ball. So now when the rebounding margin's even, like Brian Fish used to always say, winning the rebounding by two means you probably won the game by four. Every two rebounds equals a bucket. So Montana State has a positive rebounding margin. That's helped them be a little bit more competitive too. And then the third thing has been 12 turnovers or less. They have one of the steadiest point guards in the league. But then you also see when they don't hit the goals – they didn't shoot well from the free-throw line against Eastern Washington. They turned the ball over 19 times and they lost the rebounding margin. Well, it was the only lopsided loss they've had in league play. They got killed.
1: You know, and here's the thing for Montana State is they've now lost two straight at home Yep. to two good teams, Northern Colorado and Eastern Washington. But it's disappointing when they were, you know, three and two and then three and three and then found themselves with a full week off to prepare for one team and lost by the... the like you said, the highest margin of you know of 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 loss that they've endured in this conference season, that's real disappointing. And I think you start to say, okay, well, where are we at? And we talked with uh, with Coach Sprinkle uh, yesterday, and and we'll share that interview with you right here momentarily. Um, and you go, uh, you know, when 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 you have a new squad and you got a new coach. It takes a while for other teams to figure out what it is that you're doing and if you put together a good plan, which they absolutely did, it's going to look it should look really good and Montana state looked outstanding. I mean, we were so impressed with them in the non-conference. They've still been good, you know, here and they're one of those teams that is they've won uh, a couple of games by a point or two points and they've lost a couple of games by a point or two points. So they're probably right where they should be, you know, effectively 503 and 4 in in conference play. Um just like everybody else, by the way. The point of where where it comes where you can separate yourself out is, yeah, winning those close games, uh, but also countering the scout to some extent. Like, okay, this is who we are, this is what we do, now people are figuring out to do. So what's the new move, the next thing that you're going to do to try and overcome what teams are doing to take you away that they know that, that – uh, you know they have to take away Harold Frey as best they can. You know they know that that's the, the the key and the way to get that done. The other thing too, and I think this has been really underappreciated, but Devin Kirby's been out, man. He's been injured and and has not been playing. And, and he was back last game. And he he finally returned, but but he and, only but he only played five minutes. He is he's not the key to what they do, but he's such a major role potentially and what he can do. I mean, he is the biggest guy in the Big Sky Conference. He's 6'10", 6'11". Six 11,
0: and, yeah. Jack Wilson at Idaho is a true 7-footer, but Kirby has even more substantial oh, length.
1: Length and athleticism. Right, And he, around the rim, is even more Mac Anderson than Mac Anderson in oh, terms yeah, of just sure, give totally. me the – if I'm here, it's going down, it's a flush, and also the rim-protecting aspect of it. And they got nobody – they do have a big – They you know, Jabril Bellows a big guy uh and and there's a couple others that are you know that have decent size but nobody's nobody's dk and so to have him as an option and it's going to take time for him to work back into it and he's also so tall i mean look there's a reason that a six eleven kid you know is at the big sky conference we know the, the, the the terrible injury that he suffered when he was in high school so so there's that but also just I mean, your body has to catch up to your body kind of at, at some point when you're that tall and that young, and it is. And he's a guy now as a junior that I think is can be and should be, needs to be a real impact player to set things up for this Montana State team, both ends of the floor, get you some easy ones, get you some rebounds, and, and make teams think twice about when they're coming into the painted area. Uh, and so that's the thing is like people are like, well, it's a guard heavy. You know, every basketball's moved out beyond the arc and everything. How important is a room protection? Well, it, it's still critical. I mean, there, guys slashing just because you're not going big on big and having this post play or whatever, that, that is not – guys are slashing to the lane, driving to the cup all the time. That's the name of the game, drive and dish drive and shoot. But if you know that a guy's got to pass because there's no way he's going up and over the top of – a seven foot six arm span, you know in the middle, that's, that's important, so I, I think that that is big for this Montana state team to get him back and to start to work him back in, you know, from obviously a conditioning standpoint and all of that stuff. So that to me is part of what we've seen in some of the struggles that Montana State has had, but at the end of the day, their their wins and their struggles are basically the same as everybody else in this conference right now close games, and sometimes the ball bounces your way, and sometimes it don't.
0: Here's a stat from Andrew Peterson, Montana State Sports Information. Montana State is 0-6 when allowing 70 or more points, 9-3 and 3 when holding opponents under 70. There so there's, there's the magic number, and I think that leads me to my last point on this Big Sky Breakdown presented by Town Pump. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a town pump near you. The sports is so... It's so about trends, whether you're talking about the NFL, the NBA, college football, college basketball. When someone has success with something, then everybody tries to replicate it. But then whoever can be the cutting on the cutting edge can always stay ahead. And that's why Greg Popovich, I think, is the greatest American pro sports coach. And I, I think that people would scream and yell and say, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's the greatest coach at identifying the talent he has at his disposal and putting those players specifically into positions to succeed. Bill Belichick thinks about what do you do well, not what can't you do, what can you do, and you're only going to do what you can do for me. That's why he's great. Greg Popovich has revolutionized the game of basketball step by step by step. He was the first, I mean, the defensive three seconds in the key, stemming from the international rules and stuff. That's because of the Spurs spacing. He was the first coach to find the corner three-point shooter and and really emphasize that part of the game, giving a whole new Group of NBA players, a role, guys like Bruce Bowen, they can, just, they can D in three, stay in the corner, shoot threes, play hard nose defense. And the Spurs on down the line, from the way that they run their motion offenses to the high pick-and-roll stuff that they've done, they're the ones that have really been on the cutting edge. But like in the big sky, for football, for example, we saw the Grizz dominate the league, running the football right down your throat and playing hard-nosed base defense. That's about it. Nothing flashy, tougher than you. Get it done. Eastern Washington was the the antidote to that, right? They were the ones that went the opposite side. Throw the ball over the yard. This is how we're going to beat the Grizz. They win a national championship. So then everybody says, we're going to go that way. And he saw even the Bobcats, who forever had been a defensive-minded team, go all in on scoring 45 points a game. And it was to their detriment at the end of the day and in the big sky now you've seen it the pendulum swing back the other way and this year the teams that made the three other four teams that made the playoffs in the big sky Montana Weber State Montana State did it more with defense although Montana's offense was certainly explosive but it was it was more winning with toughness than it was winning with Cooper Cup right and in the big sky in basketball we've seen it too that everybody's been trying to go get the everybody Damian Lillard changed the big sky right yep Everybody wants to get Damian Lillard. Go sell the dude on, you come here, you're a four-year starter, you're going to score 2,000 points. We saw it Jordan Davis, Tyler Hall, everybody. But in the meantime, those individual guys weren't winning. Montana kept winning the league. And how are they doing it with defense? Now we've seen the pendulum swing back the other way. And Mm -hmm. we're seeing almost everybody. Eastern Washington is pretty much the only team that I think is a real contender that's not prioritizing, prioritizing defense. The Cats are now. Montana certainly always has. Northern Colorado is trying to win with defense. I mean, even Southern Utah is trying to win with defense. So it's interesting to see the pendulum swing, but to me that's going to be the key factor down the stretch. Who can stay healthy, who can stay cohesive, and who can continue to play great defense.
1: Six to seven games in the Big Sky Conference. It's uh, a lovely mess right
0: now. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com for Gus Tutel. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned. Danny Sprinkle's interview from Tutel and is coming up right after this.
1: We go now to the Rankings Brothers RV phone line, and we welcome in the head coach of the Montana State men's basketball team, Danny Sprinkle. Danny, thanks so much for being with us once again. We appreciate it. And uh, your team, it doesn't get any easier. You had two at home and now a three-game wo- road stretch, which goes through Weber State, who's having an interesting season here. They, Weber State has been one of the stalwarts of the Big Sky program. They're now 2-4, and 2-5 and five even in Big Sky conference play. What are you seeing with Weber State? Because they have a tremendous amount of talent.
2: Yeah, they've uh, they've they've been banged up. You know they you know they had some guys hurt early, and so I think you know just chemistry wise, you know they haven't played together a ton. Uh, but like you said, you know they they've been one of the best teams in the big sky for the last fifty years it seems, and so you know they're they're going to keep getting better. Uh, obviously, they got you know they got two of the best players in the league. You know Cody John, and then obviously Jarek Harding, who just broke you know Damian Lillard's scoring mark at Weber. And so you know they're they're dangerous, and the other thing they've done, you know' similar to us is they've lost a couple like one point games, and so they could very easily instead of being you know two and five, they could easily be five and two you know with a couple couple bounces the right way.
0: when you analyze the schedule like that, it's crazy. I went through the app the composite schedule for the entire league. there's been fourteen yeah. one possession games in the big sky so far, and then another six have been four point games, so almost one possession. And then another five after that were six-point games, so just two possessions. That's out of 36 conference games. So basically every single game has been six points or less, including almost half being a one-possession game. So how small is the margin for error in this league right now?
2: I mean, very small. I mean, and obviously, you know, we've been on the, you know, we've been on the worst end of it, you know, on a couple of them. And it, it comes down to, you know, a couple turnovers here, you know, a couple missed free throws in the second half. And, and those are the ones, especially on the road, you know, that just bite you in the butt. And, uh, you know, the teams that have been winning the games and the games that we've won, we've made those plays at the end, you know, against, you know, the first two conference games, you know, you Sac State and NAU, you know, we had, you know, Laden Ricketts hit a big three, you know, against NAU, you know, with like 55 seconds left. But then again, you know, at Southern Utah, you know, their kid, you know, Joel Knight goes and makes a big time play and uh, and Fawcett makes an and one with, you know, 30 seconds left. And that's, you know, those are the difference in the games.
1: You know, when when you first got here and, and things were going so well through the non-conference and in the beginning of conference play, do you feel like teams have started to get maybe a little bit of a scout on what you guys are doing, or do you think this is just a matter of, like you said, hey, man, we make a couple of free throws that we normally make, and then all of a sudden it's a different deal?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's both. It's both, uh, you know the league's really good this year and, you know, there's going to be some teams that finish at the bottom of the league that are really good teams. And, uh, you know, it's just, there's so much parity. but I think, I think it's, it's kind of both, you know, I mean, we're, you know, if Holland woods doesn't make that shot against us, you know, the kid from Portland state and, you know, if we get a stop down at, you know, Southern Utah, I mean, all of a sudden we're five and two. And so, you know, it's just, that's, that's kind of the slim margin of error, but you know, those are the games you got to win and and you got to find a way to win those games on the road and uh especially at home, and we didn't do that the last two games at home,
0: as you guys now take on this upcoming three game road trip I mean, what do you think of the position of your team right now, and what's the focus as you guys hit the road
2: the The focus for us is just to is just to get better every week. you know there were some things even against eastern Washington and Portland State that you know obviously we didn't win those games, but but there were some things that we got better at, and those are the things that come March, you know. We got to continue to get better at them. And, uh, and then obviously we just got to eliminate errors. You know, we had 19 turnovers against Eastern Washington. You know, we, we climbed back in it and got up four points in the second half. And then we turned the ball over in an eight minute span. We turned the ball over six times and three of them were on primary breaks where it was two on ones where if we score those buckets, it's a whole different game. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, Southern Utah, we missed, I think we missed eight free throws in the last nine minutes of the game. We were up 10. And so, you know, we just got to continue to get better, and uh, you know, we got to we got to take advantage of those those crucial moments, especially in the second half of games, to to get over the edge.
1: Danny Sprinkle joining us, head coach of the Montana State men's basketball team. And coach, I'm always interested to know how different guys go about the prep when you generally have a Thursday Saturday type of get, situation like you do today. Do you spend all week just preparing for Weber State Thursday? And then just a day on Idaho State, or do you try and do a little side prep for the Bengals during the course of the week when you have a couple of days, so that you have something going into Friday on this road trip?
2: We'll we'll try to do a little bit of both, you know, but ninety ninety five percent of it is on Weber State. Mm. You know, we may do something defensively where our guys don't even know that that that's what Idaho State does. You know, we might do it on Monday or Tuesday, kind of in a shell drill, where you know if, if a team runs flex, you know, or if, you know, they run cross screens with their bigs, whatever it is, we may incorporate that, incorporate that into our practice plan, you know, without our guys even knowing that that's what Idaho State's going to run. But, you know, 90 to 95% of it is just on, on the next game.
0: You mentioned just wanting to continue to get better. How, how do you weigh those two things, chasing a, a potential buy in the conference tournament and making sure you're peaking in March, especially because you guys do have a, a young team?
2: So I think the first thing we look for you know defensively is you know are we staying disciplined and against portland state we were not disciplined at all and uh you know we weren't we weren't playing team defense like we were you know the first you know two months of the season and and it bit us in the butt you know i mean obviously they're quick and athletic and they you know they got us into some scramble situations where we didn't guard the ball very well and that's you know so we we do have to get better at that against against eastern washington after the first two minutes, I thought we got better at that, you know, and to hold the team, we fouled the last four and a half minutes of the game against Eastern, trying to get back into it. And, uh, you know, to hold them to 70 points where they're averaging almost 85, you know, and if we went to foul, we would have kept them right around the 60 point mark. And so, you know, I mean, there, there was improvement from that standpoint, uh, you know, and it's, 10 of our 13 guys it's their first time playing division one basketball you know it's their first time in league where you're getting scouted they know all your tendencies and and uh you know a couple of our freshmen Finn Flute and Borja Fernandez the last couple games have have stepped up and played well you know at times and and we're gonna we're gonna need them you know so we need people to help out Harold Frey. Well coach good
1: luck on this road swing to go to Weber State and then Idaho State on Saturday and then uh, obviously it's uh Cat Grizz week the following week so it's uh, it's going to be a fun uh, stretch here but best of luck this week and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon all right you got it well we go now to the Rankage brothers RV phone line and we welcome in one of the great Grizz linebackers of all time a guy who's up for yet another Buck Buchanan award tonight in Frisco Texas Dante Olson joining us Dante how are you my man thanks for being here Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm doing good. How are you guys? Well, we're doing great. We certainly expect that you are doing well. It's a Friday on the eve of the National Championship game of the FCS level, which means it is also awards night nationally. You are in Frisco, Texas as a finalist for the second year in a row for the Buck Buchanan Award as the best defender at the FCS level. You were in this position last year. What's it been like this year, though, to kind of go back? it's, It's so rare to get a second shot at something like that, to go back and be in this spot again and, and how are you uh sort of taking this now that you've gotten to do it once before
3: you know it's exciting it's a it's a great deal that they put on down here um it's a great thing to be a part of and you know it's it's just humbling to be recognized at this level you know win or lose um top three is is uh pretty special and you know it, it's great recognition for you know the whole montana team as a as a unit and, and what we we're able to accomplish this year
0: is there any differences you notice going back for a second time?
3: Um, I don't know. I guess it's – Um, you know, it's that's a tough question. It's. Uh, I guess I I know what to expect a little more than than I did last year, so it's it's not as nerve wracking. But other than that, it's uh just it's just an all around great experience.
1: How different? How different has it been uh, since you graduated and finished? You know, your guys finished your season to now just be sort of autonomous and all about football all the time. I know you've been working out, preparing for, you know, the, the the draft and getting yourself as ready as you can, but how different has that been from what a normal off season has been just between, you know, uh, playing seasons?
3: Um, you know, obviously our season ended sooner than I wanted it to, but um, now it was a great year, great ride. And, and now that I'm done, you know, it's awesome to feel graduated and, you know not have to go back to school and go back to the grind of that and um you know it, it's different i'm definitely going to miss the team and and the coaches and you know the brother brotherly bond but i'm uh, i'm really looking forward to this next chapter and, and see what god has in store for me and you know it's it's different to to just be 100% focused on you know yourself and and uh and your body and and trying to trying to get ready for the next level
0: when the when, uh, chapter fully, truly closes, it's always an interesting experience because I'm sure when you guys were riding back on the bus from Weaver State, or maybe, I don't know if you took a plane or whatever, but traveling back and you're graduating the next day, I know you and, and Cy Sermon and Dalton Sneed and a bunch of other guys graduated that next day. Yeah. And I'm sure it was disappointing to, to lose that game at Weaver State, but also then probably all the great memories flood back too. So when you were after the game, when you were kind of just letting it all sink in that your time as a Grizz was really over, what sort of things came to your mind?
3: Uh, you know, it, it was uh, definitely disappointing. Um, looking back now, it's, it's uh, in a locker room, you know, giving everybody hugs and, and tears and stuff like that. But, you know, Coach, Coach Alco said something I'll never forget. You know, once you're a Grizz, you're always a Grizz. So, you know, I always have a home there, and, and that's something that I'm forever grateful for. But definitely all the all the memories, you know, kind of flooded back through. And everything that we've been through, um you know whether it's a senior class, and you know a couple different coaching changes. You know the just the day in and day out, and you know the team going through the grind of winter condo and spring ball and all that kind of stuff. And you know there's great memories, and 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 uh, I'm forever grateful to be a
1: Grizz. Dante Olson joining us. He's in Frisco, Texas. There's the award ceremony tonight. He is a finalist for the Buck Buchanan Award uh, after having collected basically every award that human beings give out to football (laughs) players over the course of this uh, off season. I got to ask you about going to the Sugar Bowl. You were part of the Good Hands team, uh, which uh, takes in a whole bunch of stuff, but uh, you know is a lot about community service and giving back and all the stuff that you've done around uh, you know Missoula, Montana in general. But what was that like to be there at that game and? you know, you're with a bunch of other players, Tim Tebow among others as well, and, and, and just being there for that.
3: You know, that was an incredible experience. And, and um, you know, that's something that I'll never forget. Meeting all, meeting all the different players that were part of the team, uh, meeting obviously Tim Tebow and Usher. And, you know, I got to sit down with Tim Tebow and have about a 45-minute conversation with him, you know, during the Sugar Bowl. And it's like kind of kind of surreal because, you know, that's a hero growing up of mine and then being able to, you know, have a genuine conversation was pretty cool and, you know, it's oh, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Oh, I was just going to say, it's one of those things that, you know, you give back to uh, expect anything in return but it's definitely very cool to have that recognition and and being able to be a part of that team is, is something that you know, I'll never
0: forget. You mentioned the fact that this is an individual award that you're up for, but that it is a team award, too. I mean, you got to get a lot of credit to the guys and your guys' defense. I think that just analyzing the scheme you guys ran the last two years, you are certainly an outstanding individual player, but so much of everything that happens around you is so key to putting you in positions to make plays, too. So talk about that part, just the way that – your teammates and and everybody that played around you kind of put you in this position to, to represent Montana on a national stage tonight.
3: Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a team award. You know, there's, there's no uh, individual, you know, you you can't win games. with just one player on the football field, you know, so every, everybody on the team deserves this recognition. Um, And, and I couldn't, you know, be more grateful for the the different players that I played alongside. You know, it, it starts up front with the the D line, and you know they're they're trying to cause chaos and mayhem to the O line, and you know they do a great job. Starting with you know Jesse up front, and he, he's a one of my best friends, and and he he's done a job, you know, these last couple of years, and and then you know, you know, everybody's got to do their part. The linebacker next to me it was, it was mostly Jace this year, and, you know, Jace and Bus last year. You know, we we all got we got to work together. It's kind of like you know pulling the rope. Ball goes one way, we got to go the same way, you know. And and it, and it ends in the back end, you know, to get pressure on the quarterback. You got to have good coverage to yeah, you know, to be able to take risks. The the the, the guys in the back end have to be able to make the plays and. You know that's run by you know Josh and Big Gab and Robbie and you know the both corners Justin and Deanash and you know everybody just just gotta gotta do their job to to be able to make for for an individual to make a play everybody has to do their job whether you know it's Ryder or Pat up front and Jesse and Deming Joe whoever it may be it, everybody's got to do their job you got to count on everybody and it's uh, it was it was definitely an awesome
4: experience last couple years.
1: Dante Olson joining us. He's in Frisco, Texas, getting ready for uh, the banquet tonight, and the uh, as a finalist for the Buck Buchanan Award. And Dante, I know you're getting ready for the East-West Shrine Game, and that's you know a big deal uh, to play in that, and 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 basically get your first, I guess spotlight look in front of a whole bunch of scouts and being coached up by some guys and all that kind of stuff. But also, what's the process like right now? You got your pro day coming up. When do you find out? How do people find out if they've gotten a combine invite? When does that kind of stuff all transpire? And how do you go through this sort of time where there are still some unknowns out there?
3: Yeah, so I think the list comes out in February, early February, because the the combine is in late February, I believe. So you know, just the process of playing in the East West running game, which, you know, it'll be a great experience. I'm going to meet a lot of guys and play play against a lot of great talent and be coached by, you know, some great coaches in front of a lot of, you know, NFL scouts and things like that. So so I'm really looking forward to that opportunity. And then, you know, whether it's a combine or pro day, I'm I'm really excited to, you know, get out there and, and uh, show everybody what I got.
1: When your pro day comes along or the combine, what's your forty gonna be, Dante? What are we doing here? We shooting four three, four two, maybe? Oh, wow! <laughs> I'm just. Wow. Playing.
3: <laughs> wow. That, wouldn't that be awesome?
1: Wouldn't that be awesome for any of us? Yes, it would. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but uh, but when it I mean, let me ask you this though: Do you think there's an undue amount of not pressure but focus put on that kind of stuff, or do you think it's reasonable? Um,
3: you know, to be able to play at the next level, you got to be fast. You got to be strong, and and when I say fast, you got to be extremely fast. So, you know, uh, scouts look into that stuff, and whether whether they look into it too much or not, you know, that's that's not up to me. It, it, so I just got to go out there and and run as fast as I possibly can. You know,
0: I remember that towards the end of the season, the wide receivers for Montana always stay on the field and catch balls out of the jug machine, do a little extra work. And it was funny because you started doing that at the end of the year, catching balls with those guys. And I remember, I think, I remember, I don't remember if it was Samari or or Sammy asked you, Dante, what are you going to run? You said, oh, man, I'm running 4-2. I'm way faster than you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But,
3: yeah.
4: Uh, no, but, but
0: but I mean, how do you transition your mindset out of being such a close-knit group with a bunch of guys that are around your age then preparing to go to what is maybe the most competitive element, competitive business world in America in the NFL?
3: You know, it's uh, obviously something that I've never been a part of in the NFL, so everything is going to be a new experience. And, you know, just got to trust God and take it day by day, you know, starting with today and and then uh, worrying about tomorrow when tomorrow comes around. But, you know, like I said before, University of Montana and everybody that I met there, you know, coaching staff to to the players, the, the older guys that graduated and then the younger guys that came up below me. It's it's uh the that that group right there are people that, you know, I'll I'll never forget and stay in touch with for the rest of my life. So um you know, it's right around that time, about five years ago where I, I signed my life away and it was the best decision I ever made.
1: Dante, one of the great ironies of playing football is you don't really get to watch football as a fan right. or whatever. And so now tomorrow, I know it's a game, you know, obviously that you you would have loved to have played in, but it is still a football game. It's a national championship. What do you think this game's going to be like tomorrow? Are you excited to just, you know, sit there and, and, and take in a football game and watch these guys go?
3: Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely excited. Um, there's going to be a lot of talent there. Obviously, you know, if, uh I wish uh, you know we could ultimately be playing in the game, and I didn't have to be a spectator. But you know, I I love football. I've obviously been around it since you know the day I was born. But so it'll it'll be fun. It'll be a good experience to get down there and you know watch watch a couple of or watch a couple of better teams in the FCS and and uh, see what happens.
1: Well, Dante, we certainly wish you all the best tonight. Uh, congratulations again on all the awards, all the All Americans, and stuff, and uh, and to be in the banquet, uh, you know, again for a second time is uh, a, a pretty a pretty big deal. So, congratulations to you on that. Love watching you play and the best as you go through this process here leading up to the draft. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. We go now to the Rangitz Brothers RV phone line, and we welcome in the brand new head coach of the Cal Poly Mustangs, former Eastern Washington head coach and uh, Cal assistant, Bo Baldwin. Bo, thanks so much for being with us. How are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, well, we're certainly happy to have you on. And I guess uh, we'll start with the obvious thing. You were you know, an outstanding coach, national champion at Eastern Washington. You go to the Pac-12, and you're at Cal the Cal Poly job opens up, of course, in this offseason. What made that an attractive spot for you? and Why did you say, "Hey, I want to get back into the big sky, back into the FCS"?
4: You know, more than anything, it was one of those situations where I mean, my time at Cal has been amazing, and uh, just learned so much in the three years I've been there. But every year away from being a head coach, uh, you know, I won't mix any words. I got, I got more and more hungry to be a head coach again. You know, so that was that was the feeling. I just it, it probably. I probably learned more about myself in the last three years. Got better as a coach, and truly understood um, just what where where my true passion. My passion's always been with football, but it's even at another level as a head coach. So, when but it wasn't just going to be for anything—that's for sure. But but when I was approached with this one, and the people that were involved in this hiring process, getting a feel for everything from the area to the foundation that has been set here before by Coach Walsh and and ton, you know a ton of great alums and uh you know great former coaches former players it just this one felt right you know quite honestly and I wouldn't have uh I definitely wouldn't have done it if it didn't feel right but this one 100% you know felt right and I couldn't be couldn't be happier
1: Well, Cal Poly is, you know, first of all, San Luis Obispo, such an amazing town, and then the university there, absolutely outstanding, second to none. But also, such a high academic standard. So when you sit there and go, try and balance out, you know, the draws to the place, but also some of the hurdles you're going to have to overcome. What do you think about?
4: I think it's still it's all positive stuff. I mean, I don't care where you're at, you're going to have your challenges, you know. So, but if you focus on why you can be great, you focus on the positives, it's amazing here. Um, and some of the positives to being able to recruit, you know, just those high academic kids, those kids that want to be here for that reason, those guys also understand a lot of thing like, things like time management, what it takes, you know, from a from a work ethic standpoint, um, you know, from a coaching standpoint. And you know, I've experienced that in the last three years at Cal, so I got a great understanding of the difference, you know, uh, with that type of uh, standard set, so I think when people look at it as a hurdle, they're they're you know you can you can go to any program in the country and find hurdles, but if that's what you focus on, that's you know that's where your energy is going to go. I look at this place as those are all positive things. Uh, we're going to be able to fill this roster with the right type of kids, the right type of Cal Poly kids, and uh, you know and, and and build this sucker the way we want it.
0: Hey, Bo Coulter, talking. Good to have you back in the big sky, man. Yeah, good. On the yeah Coulter, good to hear you.
4: The, uh,
0: being at Cal, though, being at Cal Berkeley the last three years, what did that teach you just about recruiting at a high academic institution because Cal Berkeley is world class, as well yeah. as just being in the state of California in general and just the, the advantages and disadvantages that come with that?
4: Yeah, there's no question. I mean, to me, I'm a better, I'm a much better coach than I was three years ago when I left Eastern. And so my experience at Cal is, you know, and I owe Coach Wilcox huge thank you for, for taking the chance on me, bringing me in there, because I've learned things, you know, just from the other coaches he brought in. I've learned a ton from Coach Wilcox. I've just grown a ton. And when it comes to, yeah, the state of California, I understand the state that much better. Not that we didn't dive down here when I was at Eastern, but now you're, you're in it. So I just understand the state that much better. I understand the student-athletes that are being recruited at those high academic universities and what attracts them and and why they're coming there and and understand how to communicate with those guys once they're on campus. And, uh, you know, it's not like it's some vastly different, you know, but there are enough little things that you pick up along the way that I think put me in a much better spot uh, to be in this position than I would have been, you know, like I said, three years ago.
1: Bill Baldwin joining us. He's the brand-new coach at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And, and, Coach, you've been out of the conference for just three years, but it seems like over that time there's been some significant changes and some teams are kind of coming up a little bit. And, obviously, you got a couple, you're even to a point now where there's a couple of guys who were assistants under you that are head coaches in the conference now uh, as well. But when you look at the Big Sky Conference as a whole, coming back to it now, what do you see and what do you think has changed just in the time that you were at Cal?
4: You know, I see a, a similarity in the, that the league is just tough. It's tough. It's competitive. Um, you know, and and obviously there's some places that are growing. You know, to to another level. And uh, you know, with, you know, both Montana schools just you know competing at an incredibly high level. You know, and, and that situation there. Obviously, Coach Choke got there right as I was I was kind of getting out. I think one year, but Coach Alk, I can remember back in the day you know, for years. So I have a ton of respect for what they're doing up You know, there. Um, obviously, you're seeing some others you brought up, Coach Taylor uh, at Sac State and what they did and spending my year with him that I got to spend in 16 at Eastern. I just learned so much. I have so much respect. Coach Best, obviously, I've known for a long time took over at Eastern after I, after I left. So, yeah, I have a lot of There's some familiarity with a lot of those guys. There's definitely, like I said, programs taking a huge jump. We got to see UC Davis. I know the year didn't go exactly like they wanted this year, but they're going in the right direction there. We got to see them firsthand last year at Cal. So um, without mentioning everyone, the league is strong. The league is strong. The coaching is very strong. Um, Still able to recruit. Uh, you know, to get those high-caliber players that that are always, in my opinion, probably could have been just fine in the Mountain West, and they play in the big sky. I always felt like we had a lot of those guys at Eastern. And so everyone we play every week in this conference is going to be an absolute bear, and we know that.
0: Coach Joe was talking uh, just last week about the quality of coaches, just like you were just talking about in the big sky. But you look across the league down there, I think there's eight head coaches in the league that have – that you did at least a little bit of a stint as an FBS coordinator of some sort, including yourself, Troy Taylor, you mentioned all those guys. But just being in the FBS, being at the highest level, especially being in the Power Five like you just were, what sort of things did you learn that maybe you didn't expect?
4: Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing I learned, a lot of it, is probably the biggest part of it is is in the recruiting world, mm-hmm. you know, and just how much goes into that, how early it goes into that. And I know it's different at the FCS, but you can still adopt a lot of the strategies and a lot of things you do and a lot of the ways you communicate with these guys and you build that relationship over time. And not that we didn't was at Eastern, but it is a different game right now. So a lot of what I learned, um, you know, falls within the recruiting, uh, you know, the recruiting aspect, the calendar, what that looks like, how early with these guys, the connection with the parents, you know, and, and the different things that maybe are a little bit different, um, than how I felt when I left Eastern Washington. So that's one of the biggest things. I mean, I took little things from every piece of that Cal experience, though, you know, from different coaches I was around to everything there. So you're right. I mean, having that experience is big, you know. And, and one other coach I didn't mention who was in that spot and doing a tremendous job, and, and you know, is also Coach Hill. who so I got to compete against I have so much respect there as well. So, you know, and I know I'm leaving some guys off, but just uh, he's another guy in that same boat. And, man, his team just plays like – you know, just like his personality, but maybe he developed some of that personality when he was, you know, an FBS assistant and kind of felt that and knew what his program was going to look like once he got the shot. But that experience definitely helps you.
0: As you know, recruiting is such a huge part of this. We were talking on the show yesterday. You know, at Eastern, you guys had such a great thing going, just because, uh, as we've talked about for years, the state of Washington's just under recruited, and you guys were able to get so many good guys out of Washington, get them to come to Eastern. And that, that was just a, that was an advantage for you guys, to be able to get guys out of Yakima and Seattle and Tacoma. Do you, what's it going to take to find a similar advantage when you're talking about San Luis Obispo, California?
4: I think more than anything, I mean, you got to, at this level, and especially when you're at Cal Poly, you know, um, at this level, it's not as if you're winning on a guy that usually, I'm saying in most cases, usually aren't winning because you beat six other guys in recruiting. And then you get them, like you would at a high, high level, Alabama, Texas, wherever, where you beat seven guys, and then you get that top-tier guy and you roll the balls out. we got to do a better job than our opponents. This is something we pride ourselves at Eastern of Mm out-evaluating. So evaluating, you know, because a lot of those top-tier guys you're talking about, whether they were Washington or whether it was a Vernon Adams out of California or some other guys, you know, that that weren't from Washington, a Samson Ibukam out of Portland, a lot of those guys it wasn't so much – You know, it was more about out evaluating people because they really weren't being evaluated at a high level. They weren't being recruited at a high level, including guys like Cooper and Vernon and and Sampson. So, and then once they get on campus, you got to take the mindset of also we have to out develop people. So, the same thing I'll take with Cal Poly. I know the index numbers and what it takes to get in here are a little bit tougher, but that's also a positive thing. You're able to earmark those guys that truly fit. And then you just got to do a better job than your opponents of first out evaluating these guys, and when you are in those recruiting battles, you know win those things, but also out developing them within your within your program once they're on campus.
1: Did Samson come turn out to be pretty good? I don't know. <laughs> he wasn't bad. I guess so. Bad. I guess it so, worked out for him. Um, you
4: know, still isn't bad. And What's unfair for him is he still kind of just stays because he's playing for the state. He almost stays a little bit in Cooper Cup shadow. People don't talk about it. So right. Much, but, yeah. I mean, that guy's like I said, absolute, absolute dude.
1: Bill Baldwin joining us, uh, new head coach at Cal Poly. And, Coach, last one for me, but Cal Poly has been – A triple-option club for as long as uh, as long as I'm aware, and so uh, with you coming in, you know, kind of an offensive mind, and they've had uh, you know a lot of reasons for doing that. But what is your vision for what you want to run at this school?
4: Uh, We're going to run what what I've run for years, and uh, we're going to be multiple. I mean, at times it'll look like gun spread, but I still don't I still don't get away from you know using two tight end sets. I still don't get away from at times getting under center. Did for all those years at Eastern. You know, I think people's eyes remember, oh, they were past happy and they spread it out, which we did, but we did a little bit of both, you know, and and, uh, we'll continue to be multiple, we'll be attacking, and sure, I mean, it'll be a 180. I mean, it won't won't look anything like what it did before, there's no doubt about it, Um, and that sometimes takes a little time, but I don't think it has to take as much time as people think.
1: Well, I'll tell you, you know, I'll tell you what. I know that a lot of coaches uh, are not looking forward to going up against your offense, whatever it is. But I know they're all happy to not face a triple option. I think I can speak for the league on that. Yeah, know.
4: So. I, I, I believe me, they're probably happy no matter what we do offensively. I guarantee a bunch of those defensive coaches are good. At least I get to face a normal offense. No, no, no question. It's, that's it. It's funny. Even if you do well against the triple option, you still finish the game going. Thank God that's over. Right. You know. I mean, we had those where we we'd have great defensive days and Schmeds or Graham or whoever was my DC. Ah, thank God. What do you mean? We did really well. <laughs> I know, but man, you know. So I, I get it. I do. But obviously, that's not that's not me, and that's not what we're going to do.
0: The well, last question then for you, Bo. I know that you're going to be now in California, and we mentioned Sam's Nebicomp Cooper Cup those guys playing up just up the road in Los Angeles. So are you going to get a chance to catch a game before this thing hits full force, or is it just going to be all work for
4: you? I don't think so, bro. I mean, <laughs> you know how that is. I'm lucky to text him right now. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. right. We got to do – we actually did have a text back and forth, though, the other day. But, uh, nah, my NFL watching days are going to be probably – truthfully, they'll probably be on hold till the day I retire. So, like, yeah. you know, I'll catch him on TV once in a while when we get a chance. but too busy for that
1: well Bo congratulations man welcome back to the Big Sky Conference it's a uh, great to have you back in it and we're excited to see what happens at Cal Poly here uh this year and going forward after that best of luck to you all right
4: appreciate it thanks for having me